come on, huh? I've been back there in that kitchen, man, and cook for your ass and everything, man. Hey, these grandma rules, man. You know the deal. Your ass eat, your ass speak. Okay, I got a question. What's your favorite food? A double portion of doggy chop from the can mixed into a bowl of broken puppy snaps with a vitamin crushed up into it. Okay, how do you like yours? Red, medium red. Medium red. Hmm, aristocrat. Coming up, our new format, Triple Threat, looking at three food preparation scenes in Moonlight, Isle of Dogs, and Goodfellas. everyone to the film and food podcast i'm your host chris roberts and thank you again for joining us for episode 13 i'm so excited to be launching a brand new format of the show today triple threat this is where i take a category of food in film and talk about three amazing examples of them on the episode this week we're looking at three food preparation scenes in the films moonlight isle of dogs and goodfellas But before I introduce this episode any further, I wanted to say welcome to the Film and Food Podcast. We celebrate all things culinary and cinematic in film, so if you're a foodie or a cinephile or both like me, this is the podcast for you. We have a few different ways that we do this, including firstly, our Film and Food Review episodes. This is where we give a comprehensive review of a great foodie film, plus give you a film-inspired recipe to try at home. Then we have our Quick Bites episodes where we catch you up on great film and television from the past and present. Finally, we sometimes have a bit of fun with our Fantasy Film and Food Draft, which is a fun draft-style game where we create our ultimate food experiences from our favourite directors, filmographies, movie universes or movie worlds. Plus, today, we have our new Triple Threat format launching. So, make sure you check out our other episodes and subscribe to us on your favourite podcasting platform. Thank you so much for your support. Okay, let's dive more into this week's episode. Food preparation. It is often the unglamorous task of creating the food that goes in our stomachs. Chopping, mixing, kneading, boiling, roasting, combining. The effort and love we put into preparing our food reflects in the way the food enriches our bodies physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Today, we are examining the connection that preparing our food has to our souls and the souls of those who share food with us. What about preparing our food, cooking, creating, putting in the effort? What about the whole process of cooking food that sets our heart alive? The joy of layering a lasagna or stirring a risotto or sprinkling sugar. Cooking is truly an art form that sets the five senses alive. Taste, touch, smell, hearing, and sight. What we eat and what we cook impacts our minds, our relationship with others, and there are many examples in film of this in action. Today we pick three examples from three very different films. The first scene shows how food preparation is an expression of love, breaking down barriers in gender norms, toxic masculinity, and opening up a relationship mired in complexity and passion. In our second scene, food preparation is an art form, a tradition passed down refined over many years to reflect discipline, excellence, and culture at its finest, to deadly effect. In our final scene, we will see food preparation as a symbol of freedom, 
of rebellion, of a lifestyle of glamour, control, and excess that goes beyond the confines of regular law and normal societal expectations. Today, we look at the Moonlight Diner scene, the Isle of Dogs sushi scene, and the Goodfellas prison food scene. This is Triple Threat. Just one last quick thing before we dive into the three scenes that we're going to talk about today is that we're talking about these movies in such depth. Moonlight, Goodfellas, Isle of Dogs. If you haven't seen those movies and want to be completely spoiler free, then maybe it's good to go watch those before you listen to this episode. But if you've seen them, if you're happy to be mildly spoiled, we're really not talking about that much at all, then go ahead and enjoy this episode and we're about to start. Our first scene today is from the 2016 film, Moonlight. Here's a clip from the Moonlight Diner scene. One shell special, coming right up. The second feature film by director Barry Jenkins, Moonlight tells the story of an African-American boy, Chiron, who grapples with his identity and sexuality while experiencing the everyday struggles of childhood, adolescence, and burgeoning adulthood. Throughout the film, we are put in the perspective of Chiron, a quiet boy who seems to watch the world but not be a part of it. Those around him, like his mother and her drug dealer, Juan, seem to know things about Chiron before he does. Chiron always seems a step behind the person that he truly is. He is always chasing his identity, except when he is with Kevin. Even as boys, Kevin is the only one to chase after Chiron when he runs away from a soccer game. You immediately notice the bond they share. They are comfortable with each other, laughing, wrestling. It's one of the only times we see Chiron smile as a boy. In the second act of the film, Chiron is a teenager, still grappling with his sexuality and identity. His relationship with Kevin becomes intimate and complicated. One night on the beach, where Juan taught him to swim, he and Kevin share an intimate physical moment. This is truly a life-defining moment for Chiron. He has been vulnerable and opened himself to Kevin. This is crushed when Kevin succumbs to peer pressure from high school bullies and punches Chiron in the face. In the moments after, we start to hear no sound, as if Chiron had suffered a death. He has cut himself off from ever feeling that way, ever, about someone again. The third act is where we reach our beautiful scene. Chiron has become hard, pushing drugs on the street for a living and embracing the appearance of his drug-dealing mentor, Juan. He is extremely muscular with a grill in his mouth. We are left wondering if Chiron's experiences have caused him to kill the sensitivity in his personality and put on this traditional masculine swagger. He receives a call and apology unexpectedly from Kevin, who invites him down to his diner for a free meal. Chiron travels to Miami 
and we have our scene. Kevin sees Chiron and announces that he will cook Chiron, his chef's special. The dish is Cuban, perhaps in honor of his own Cuban heritage or that of Chiron's mentor, Juan, and he prepares it with delight and love. Nicholas Brittel's stunning score swoons tenderly, radiating the love being poured into the food. Kevin squeezes fresh lime onto golden brown chicken breast topped with grilled onion. Next, he fills a container with rice, skillfully flipping the container onto the plate to create a stunning circular shape. Black beans are gently nestled onto the plate before the final touch. Some chopped coriander deftly sprinkled to garnish the dish with one final touch of love and care. There is so much weight behind this scene. Ten decades of separation before it, a lifelong relationship of love, tenderness and heartbreak before that. This feels like therapy for Kevin, that he is presenting his true self, his true love to Chiron on a plate, apologizing for what has come before and revealing so much vulnerability and feeling that Kevin still has. This is food preparation as love, but it is also food preparation that breaks down Chiron's fake hard walls. I think Barry Jenkins himself says it best, quote, when you cook for someone, this is a deliberate act of nurturing. This very simple thing is the currency of genuine intimacy, end quote. And Barry Jenkins again says, quote, it felt like the gesture was charged in some way. Something special was happening. Kevin was deliberately preparing this thing out of love. Plus, I've never seen a black man cook for another black man in a film or television or any kind of media. End quote. This is a beautiful, groundbreaking, and emotionally charged food scene in a perfect and unforgettable film. Moonlight will stand the test of time as a masterpiece of empathetic storytelling that is for everyone. And so will this scene. Our second scene comes from the 2018 film Isle of Dogs. Here's a clip from the Isle of Dogs sushi scene. Anderson's second stop-motion feature, Isle of Dogs, is set in Japan, and it follows a boy's odyssey in search of his lost dog. It also features one of the most excellently crafted food preparation scenes in all of cinema. But first, let's quickly set the scene. After an outbreak of so-called snout flu in the city of Megasaki, Mayor Kobayashi has issued a decree that all dogs must be sent to Trash Island where they live on scraps and are quarantined from their owners for life. 
Kobayashi's orphaned nephew Atari crashes his plane over Trash Island and eventually is helped by a canine crew to find his beloved lost dog, Spots. Meanwhile, Professor Watanabe believes he has a cure for the snout fever, thus, in theory, allowing the dogs to be able to return to Megasaki if vaccinated. This is where we reach our one minute long sushi making masterpiece scene. A skilled sushi chef begins preparing sushi with precision and skill. Alexandra Desplat's score moves with an upbeat rhythm and with tempo as we witness the marvelous work of the chef's hands as he slices fish, he cuts crab, rolls sushi and assembles octopus before finally putting a small dab of bright green wasabi on three of the four octopus pieces. Here is where the scene shifts. The chef dons a pair of gloves and a yellow substance is brought over. Then we cut to a close-up of the yellow substance and a title card tells us. This is poison. Desplat's score changes tone. Now the rhythm and melody sound foreboding, ominous, and some of us are guessing who this meal is intended for. The chef carefully adds a smudge of yellow to the last piece, and then we change perspective again. Now looking at the chef as he expertly slides a clear wrapping onto the sushi box and then places it into a red and white paper bag sealed with a piece of tape. The order notes are written and the sushi is sent to Professor Wantanabe, who enjoys the meal before staring at the new yellow sauce on his last piece of octopus. He stares, waits, and then tentatively licks a piece of poison off his chopstick. Inside, the audience groans as we realize the sinister nature of Mayor Kobayashi. He is unwilling to allow dogs to be cured of their disease and come back to Megasaki. He hates dogs. Wes Anderson is known for his symmetrical shots, his brilliant attention to detail in his production, and his use of color, among many other things. And that is all on full display in this film, but particularly in this scene. In one minute, we are told that Kobayashi is trying to cover up the discovery of the cure of snout fever, but in such a unique, creative, and cinematic way. The expert skill of the chef in his preparation matches the ruthless leadership of Mayor Kobayashi. It tells us a lot about Kobayashi, that he would use his chef in this way of solving his problems. Kobayashi wants power and control, and he is willing to do anything to make that happen. Stop motion animation is one of the most difficult ways to make a film. Every single item on the screen is meticulously crafted to scale, and every motion in the movie requires moving pieces ever so slightly, taking a photo, and repeating this process. The puppet master of this film, Andy Gent, says that this one minute scene took animators seven months to create. Seven months of intense work for just over a minute of footage. That level of craft and effort just shows you how much care they put into this superb movie moment. Our third and final scene comes from Martin Scorsese's 1990 mob epic, Goodfellas. Here's a clip from the Goodfellas prison scene. In prison, dinner was always a big thing. We had a pasta course, and then we had a meat or a fish. Paulie did the prep work. He was doing a year for contempt, and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor and he used to slice it so thin that it used to liquefy in the pan with just a little oil. That's a very good system. Vinny was in charge of the tomato sauce. Wow, got the smoke. <laughs> the kinds of meat and meat, boys. You got the veal, 
beef and pork. Ah, good, but you gotta have the pork. Oh, that's, that's the flavor. Uh, I felt he used too many onions, but it was still a very good sauce. Really? Don't put too many onions in the sauce. I didn't put too much onions in it. Oh, three small onions, that's all I did. Three onions? How many cans of tomatoes you put in there? Johnny Deal did the meat. We didn't have a broiler, so Johnny did everything in pans. I used to smell up the joint something awful, and the hacks used to die, but he still cooked a great steak. Hey, how do you like yours? Red, medium red. Medium red. Hmm, aristocracy. You know, when you think of prison, you get pictures in your mind of all those old movies with rows and rows of guys behind bars. But it wasn't like that for wise guys. It really wasn't that bad. Except that I missed Jimmy. He was doing his time in Atlanta. I mean, everybody else in the joint was doing real time, all mixed together, living like pigs. It tells the story of Henry Hill and his life in the Italian-American crime syndicate meeting his wife Karen Hill and his mob partners Jimmy Conway and Tommy DeVito. Much like most of Scorsese's mob dramas, Goodfellas tells the highs and lows of being a gangster in the mob. The first half of the film we are put into the perspective of Henry Hill, who famously says that since he could always remember, he always wanted to be a gangster. We are narrated throughout the film with Henry Hill's voice, his thoughts, allowing us to follow Henry's journey. First, we too fall in love with the lifestyle of the mob. Henry likes that they treat him as an adult when he is only 12. They trust him, give him jobs, and he gets to blow up cars, reveling in the boyish fun that this crime brings to his life. As he grows up, we get the famous Copacabana shot, and it's the ultimate celebration of the lifestyle of the mob. A two-minute unbroken shot as Henry and Karen are led through a back door into the club, past the kitchen, and given a perfect prime seat for the night's entertainment. Along the way, they nod and talk to people as they go, and you can see that these two have connections more than anyone else. They're quite literally separate from the ordinary people who don't have these insider connections. As Henry gets deeper and deeper into the life of the mob, he also commits worse and worse crimes. Yet somehow, we as an audience still root for him. The lifestyle is presented as lavish, luxurious. It's freedom, a lifestyle of deep loyalty and belonging and a life that transcends the day-to-day mundanity that normal life brings. However, things begin to fall apart for Henry, and as an audience, we start to lose our love for the mob when we see what it truly is. His now wife, Karen, discovers him with a mistress. Henry has to commit multiple murders, And after beating a Florida man who owes mob boss Paulie money, Henry and his gang are caught and sent to prison. This is where we get our scene. The prison food scene of Goodfellas is arguably the most loved and talked about food scene in cinema. It's a three minute scene that shows the mob men preparing a decadent Italian feast with access to incredible produce and alcohol. Robbie Williams, Somewhere Beyond the Sea, sets the scene as Henry Hill narrates us through the cooking process. Paulie slices garlic impossibly thin with a razor so it apparently dissolves in some oil on a pan. Another man makes the prison sauce with three kinds of meat, beef, veal and pork, but is chastised for putting too many onions in the sauce, three to be exact. Johnny cooks the steaks in a pan while fresh lobsters are brought in an icebox. Finally, Henry enters complaining about the difficulty of bribing a guard, wielding a box filled with bread, prosciutto, onions, pepper and cheese. Paulie is obviously waiting for more and is delighted when when Henry reveals scotch, red wine and white wine. Now we can eat, Paulie proclaims as he gathers the men to a feast. 
It almost feels like a family gathering, but Henry's voiceover reminds us that they are in prison. These men are far away from learning their lesson, living it up and bribing the guards to get whatever they want. They seem to be living better than most people do out of prison. The audience now is starting to lose the veneer, the shininess in which we used to view the mob lifestyle. On one hand, we are in awe of the food and lifestyle on display, but we also feel deeply angry, upset and sickened that these men commit such atrocities and when they finally are caught, do not seem to learn their lesson or show any sign of remorse. This scene marks a shift in the story of Goodfellas. The next half of the film shows the downfall of Henry Hill and his friends until he eventually leaves the mob and lives in witness protection, in obscurity and normality. Scorsese needs to make us fall in love with the mob so that we can also be disturbed and put into our place when all falls apart. His commentary is that this is not a lifestyle of freedom, but instead an intoxicating deadly lifestyle that is purely selfish, indulgent, and contributes nothing to society. Particularly in the early 90s, this film was a splash of cold water to the general public who fell in love with the mobsters of the Godfather films of the 70s. It's a cautionary tale that pulls apart the glamour of the lifestyle to reveal the darkness within. This scene stands out as an example of the duality of this movie, a glorious feast of food in prison, an appearance of freedom, but a reality of bondage. Okay, there it is. We've talked about three amazing food preparation scenes from Moonlight, Isle of Dogs and Goodfellas. But wait, you're probably wondering, where on earth is the recipe for this week's episode? Well, fear not. Our very last scene that we talked about, the Goodfellas scene, inspired our film-inspired recipe this week, which is Goodfellas prison sauce on pasta with ricotta, zucchini, and asparagus. So, this is a bit of a vegetarian twist on the Goodfellas prison sauce. Of course, you heard that that had three types of meat in it. I created something more conducive to a weeknight meal, something that both me and my wife could eat because we eat mostly plant-based these days. And so that is what we created. It is delicious. You're getting the richness of the tomato sauce cooked for hours on a stovetop, combined with the cut of the ricotta and the beautiful asparagus and zucchini to bolster that sauce and make it a really satisfying meal is just one that you will add to your favorites, I'm sure, for a quick, great weeknight meal. I'm going to pass it over to Beth to share her thoughts on this dish. All right, Beth, what did you think of the meal? Delicious. It's a really gorgeous sauce, very fresh and kind of nice, vibrant flavors. Um, The zucchini and asparagus was cooked to perfection, like just still retaining some bite and crunchiness. Um, And then plenty of parmesan just sealed the deal for me. So nice. So if Beth loved it, you know it's a winner. This recipe can be found on our social media pages and in the show notes of this week's episode. So make sure you go out and try that one and let us know how you went. You can email us. You can send us something on social media. Get in touch with us. We'd love to hear what you cooked for this week's episode. Okay, that about does it for this week's episode, Triple Threat three food preparation scenes in Moonlight, Isle of Dogs, and Goodfellas. What did you think of this new format? We would love to hear your feedback. Let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on our email, and let us know whether we should do this one again, or even suggest a new category, some new scenes that we could tackle in our next Triple Threat episode. We would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this podcast, can I ask you a favor? 
can you give this a five-star rating and review on your podcast player of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts? We are getting into the ears of more and more people, and this is a great way for us to go up the rankings in iTunes and on different podcast players so that more people can discover the amazing episodes that we produce. So thank you so much to everyone who has given us a five-star rating and review already. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, Himalaya, Player FM, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Google Play, Deezer, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Basically, wherever there's podcasts, you will find us. Make sure you email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. I'll say that again, fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. And join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Film and Food Podcast. Let us know how you went with the recipe. What did you think of Moonlight, Isle of Dogs, or Goodfellas? What did you think about these scenes? Give us feedback, suggest a movie to review. The most important thing is to join the conversation. Until next time, goodbye, and thanks for listening.